Hello and welcome to Autoholics Anonymous by The Autoholic. I'm Stephen Diamond. In this episode, Ryan and I sit down with Rami Fettiani, founder and owner of Inbound Motorsports. Inbound is a specialty automotive importing shop located outside of New York City. They import many cool cars, including classic AMG Mercedeses, BMWs, and Japanese tuner cars. In this two-part episode, we first hear how Rami started importing cars and the beginnings of Inbound Motorsports. So stay tuned and enjoy. Hey everybody, I'm here with Steven and Rami Fittiani of Inbound Motorsports. Um, you know, Rami, why don't you set the stage for us? Where are we? Uh, we are in the uh, very beautiful uh, town of West New York, New Jersey, and it is not in New York. A lot of people get confused <laughs> by that, and a lot of times when you actually put it into your GPS, um, or I tell uh, people to you know meet me at the address in West New York, they'll call me and say, I'm on because we're at 57th Street in West New York, <laughs> they call me and they say, I'm in front of the CBS building on, 50, on 57th Street, uh, West 57th Street in New York. So we are definitely not in Manhattan, although we are very close. To, we are about as close as you can get to Manhattan uh, without actually being there, um, just, over the, uh, just through the um, uh, Lincoln Tunnel uh, into Jersey. Um, yeah, and we're in, a, my, in my garage, sitting in my living room uh, on the couch, uh, surrounded by all of the cars that I have in here currently. And, and engines. And engines and wheels. parts and wheels. There's an exhaust on <laughs> the floor. Memorabilia. Says. It feels it's right. So memorabilia, a lot of stuff that we picked up over the years. Um, some yeah, skateboard decks. Trying to paint the picture for everybody listening. We got some, <laughs> some uh, uh, skateboard decks. We got um, some car seats that are, they should be in the cars, but they look better out and about that we can actually look at them. Um, some garage mechanic overalls, a go-kart hanging on the wall. <laughs> Uh, That's some, a serious go-kart. It's like yeah, a shifter I, cart. Yep. So Steve, my uh, you know uh, mechanic, business partner, you know my uh, my go-to person to handle all of the the stuff that I bring in and get them on the road. It's I think it's his son's go-kart. Mm-hmm. Um, very big into go-kart racing, uh, and actually his son is a fantastic, fantastic like prodigy go-kart racer. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, yeah, and obviously Steve's very proud of him. So he's got his stuff all over the wall. <laughs> so and I, I mean I love the kid too he's awesome anybody who met him uh, would probably feel the same way he's yeah a he's a kid. fun kid yeah. he was here last time I was oh around. sure yeah. yeah he's probably more interesting than me you guys should have a podcast we'll get him on next we should time. interview him yeah. if you were here it'd be, it'd be fun we'll be interviewing a future Formula 1 star yeah so right. we'll be the first well, yeah. how old is he I think he's eight, eight yeah, or nine. Eight, seven or eight yeah Boy, his birthday's I, in January so I think he's gonna be I think he's gonna be nine in January I think it's either eight or nine I, yeah. I wish I had been carting when I was that age. I think I begged, I kind of remember begging my father to take me out to the shifter cart track. Really? Yeah, there was like, I remember I read something in Auto Week. There was like a, a <laughs> I want to be doing cart. that. Yeah, exactly. I told him, I said, Dad, we got to go there. It's a shifter cart that go 100 miles an hour. And he's like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> Real good sell. Put me in a cart that goes 100 yeah, miles yeah, per hour. Exactly. It's a full-time commitment. Steve is very devoted to like making sure that Logan actually gets all the attention that he needs go-karting. And, I mean, and, and he does great for it. But definitely, if you want to be competitive, it's a full-time devotion from your family, parents, you know, everybody has to get involved. So It's like kids that are like, you know, all-stars in soccer or whatever right. like that. Yeah, it's a thing. full-time yeah. job. Yeah. It's, it's racing. It's yeah. the same thing. 
Yeah. I probably wasn't cut out for that as a kid anyway, so. Yeah. You would have <laughs> found much, something else interesting yeah, to too do. Too much of a hooligan, you right. know? I wasn't <laughs> focused. Yeah. <laughs> so you've been in this space for how long and, and since you found Inbound? So I actually started, all right, to so give you a little bit of a backstory about Inbound, I started uh, doing this, uh, meaning importing and selling um, interesting cars or cars of distinction. Uh, about five, maybe about five years ago at this point, and it all started because I wanted to buy a uh, 71, 72 Nissan Skyline Hakoska. Um, and actually, that came about because I saw a video on YouTube, I think that either JDM Legends put out or some, it was some like, um, like Japanese Kings, whatever, like vintage Japanese classic cars. And I'd never seen these cars before in my life, and I was introduced to, you know, uh, first generation Skyline, second generation like Ken Mary's. And I saw these things and I was like, these are so unbelievably cool to a level that I've never experienced in the US. I've never seen them before. Um, I want one. And that was all that I could think about. That was the only thing that I wanted for the next you know, foreseeable future until I ended up getting one. Um, so I uh, did everything that I could to uh, um, you know, get ready to buy one, figured out the uh, best way to buy one is to go to uh, the auctions in Japan, um, and you got to get set up with a broker. You get set up with an agent um, who can, you know, f- effectively bid on the cars, handle the export for you. I actually went to Japan, met with the person who I now have been working with for the past five years, excellent guy, um, and told him, you know, what I was looking for. We found a car that came up for auction, ended up bidding on it, buying it, taught myself the import process uh, start to finish because that was the only way that I could afford to do it. I could not afford. I did a little bit of research as to what was available in the U.S. and it was cars that had already been brought in, kind of worked through a little bit, were like nice cars, something that I was not able to afford at the time. Right. Um, so I went out and I bought the car that I could afford, which now probably ended up costing me probably three times what it would have cost me <laughs> if I had just bought a car. Because we, I, long story, we'll get to it probably, but I, the car has gone through a full restoration. It's actually going to be here sometime next week, hopefully. Um, it's been a very long process, but. I ended up buying that car, teaching myself the import process, bringing it in, and I was living at my parents' house in Queens at the time, and I parked it in the driveway. And I was like, uh, this is where I'm gonna keep this thing, and then um, proceeded to then, uh, drove the thing around a little bit, got a lot of attention, talked to a lot of people about you know the process, um, you know what it was like to get this car, all that stuff felt that there was a ton of interest in, in me doing so. Um, and then I was able to, well, and then I had the realization of, you know, hey, I could probably do this with, with cars that, you know, were not available in the US mm-hmm. and I can bring in stuff that um, maybe would appeal to people here uh, and, you know, sell it. And if not, then I got, you know, if I don't make money off of it, at least I'll, I'll have cars that I was always interested in having. Um, and, you know, I can enjoy them at the very least and, you know, at the, at the worst case scenario, hopefully just break, break even, yeah. um, or maybe it costs me a little bit, but I get to enjoy it at, at the time. You have the experience. Yeah. I got the experience and I taught myself, I gave myself this education and it is a very, very rough education over the past five years. And it's a continuous education because things are constantly changing. <laughs> um, the school of hard knocks, the school of hard knocks rules are always changing. And also, you know, I, I get comfortable with. Uh, doing so because I've been doing it for five years. So you take a little bit more risks than I would have when I first started out, which, you know, some pan out fantastic, some don't. Um, anyway, so I, I thought there would definitely be a market for bringing stuff in that was unique and interesting that was never really offered for sale in the States. So I just went out and I bought, um, 
you know, another car, which I think the second car that I ended up buying was an E30 uh, Touring. Um, also from Japan. Also from Japan, uh, which they got a lot of. They got a lot of good, like, German stuff early on. Um, with the exception of Audi, you don't really see a lot of Audis there. BMWs, Mercedes, and they're, they're uh, 80, 85% of them are all left-hand drive, too. So it's great. You can bring them over. It's not really off-putting to anybody who's looking for a left-hand drive car. So, why, were, why were they all left-hand drive? I've noticed that as well. Was it? Did people want left-hand drive cars or right-hand weren't available? It's a, well, it's a mix, right? I don't know. I'm sure the right-hand cars were available because, I mean, you go to the UK and the cars were right. all right-hand drive. So they were available. It's, it's a, I think it's a mix. Um, a lot of people will tell you that the Japanese have a, uh, this feeling of like a, the left-hand drive cars kind of designate the status symbol because they have you know all the Toyotas and Nissans in the country. Um, are all obviously right-hand drive local market cars, and then you get the guy, you know, you get the left-hand drive uh, German cars, um, and it kind of distinguishes you from the rest. So they, a lot of people will tell you that, yeah, left-hand drive cars are sort of uh, preferred in Japan, and I think because they're going to get imported anyway, uh, you know, people prefer to bring in, you know, the German cars that are left-hand drive instead of a right-hand drive version. They're out there. I mean, you can buy right-hand drive uh, 124s or, you know, uh, 202, like 190Es, 201s. Um, but for the most part, they're all left-hand drive. So I ended up buying this left-hand drive, uh, red E30 Touring, um, brought that in, had a little bit of fun with it. Actually, that was a really pleasant car to drive. It was just nice. It was, it was a 325i, like nothing crazy, nothing, it wasn't an IX, not a, not an IS, not an IX, nothing crazy. Um, yeah, beautiful engine, beautifully kept car. I think it had something like I think it had 100,000 kilometers on it, so 60,000 miles. Uh, really nicely kept car. Very simple, nothing nothing outlandish. And I ended up selling that car and did, I thought, well on it. I mean, I, I target, when I do these things now, pretty uh, aggressively target like a 30% return on investment if I can, if I can um, like justify that at a minimum. It, it, you know, counting in all my expenses, that's sort of where I try and uh, safely be at. And I, I take safe... Uh, lines on you know what i really think i could sell this thing for what i think um it's gonna need you know and i add some buffer into that so i target like a 30 percent return i did that with that first car and i think simultaneously i had a a 190e uh 16 valve car that came in that i bought um which they offered here but it was a euro uh 2.3 16 valve this one was unique because it had a full-on evo one kit um that looked amazing um, and I bought it because it looked amazing. I knew they had those here, but I was like, I don't think I've ever seen one that was like, you know, Evo one cloned. Um, and it was painted silver. So it was very different. Ended up doing okay on that car. I still hit my 30% mark. Didn't do as well as I thought I would do on it. Also from Japan. Also from Japan. Um, and then, yeah. And then I bought a, uh, a, and I bought all these simultaneously. I, I kind of got a little bit quick on the trigger. I mean, <laughs> I, I brought them in and it I, think, exciting, I think, right? I think my yeah. feeling was that like, I think my feeling was that like, well, after they got here, I was like, there's no way I'm not making money on this thing. Let me go buy another one until this one's done. And sold. <laughs> so like qu- pretty quickly, we're, I, I'm not, I'm not deviating from the question about how we started this, but this is really the, um, this is the, the, um, the genesis of how this all started. Pretty quickly, it went from having a 71 Skyline in the driveway to having a 71 Skyline, a 88 uh, E30 Touring, a, uh, uh, I think it was a 89 or 88 uh, 2.3 valve, and then I bought an Alpina C2 2.5 uh, that was also in my driveway, so I had a, uh, mind you, this was always a two-car driveway. <laughs> my parents still had a car there. 
uh, and I had five cars that went all the way to the back of the backyard <laughs> in the driveway, and winter was looming. And it I was, was like, going to say parking space in Queens instead of premium. I had, five, <laughs> I had five cars, and in fact, I had that, and I also had a um, for a very short period of time at the driveway because that moved right around when I got it. Uh, three hundred e three point four, sorry, three hundred ce, so coupe e class, three hundred ce three point four AMG wide body car that they only made about I think twenty of, and the thing had forty thousand kilometers on it. Unbelievably nice car. And if you guys ask me later what's the car that I regret selling the most, that's going to be my answer. So we'll skip ahead to that. <laughs> but I had uh, five of these cars parked in, in the driveway. And, you know, winter was on its way. And I had them under car covers. And it was really becoming unmanageable. And my mom uh, told me that I had to get them the hell out. Like any normal <laughs> She laid down right? the yeah. So, and I, and I worked full-time uh, in Midtown um, while I was kind of doing this. Uh, you know, and I think it, during that time frame, sold the E30. I think I sold one of the other cars. Um, anyway, so I might have sold. I think I actually sold the the Alpina also while they were still in the driveway. But simultaneously, was looking for a space that I could house the three or four or five cars that I thought I would be having in, in inventory at any given time. So I um, went out. I, th- I in my mind, it was the same. The first day that I went to look for garages. Um, and I go on Craigslist and I start typing in, you know, two car garage, three car garage, somebody who's renting out a garage space mm-hmm. nearby that I could just park cars in, um, you know, over the winter. So I don't have to manage keeping them clean, keeping them safe. Um, and I think the first day that I went out to look for it, I found this space that we're in, which is a 2,200 square foot space. And the price that it was listed for, even from what I saw that day was, significantly lower than everything else although it was a 2200 square foot space that i did not think that i needed i think i budgeted myself 500 dollars to you know have you know maybe fit two or three cars right. a month this was you know not significantly more but it was a lot more than that a lot right. more than what i wanted to pay for and handle myself so i thought to myself it's an investment well, well it's an investment definitely but I, I thought okay how can i do this because this price point seems very reasonable i gotta go see it so i immediately got in touch with the owner um, and I, uh, made a plan to go see it that same evening, took the bus from Midtown Port Authority, came, met him over here. After actually, work? did I take the bus? I can, actually, I say that I came with a friend of mine, Will. Um, he actually picked me up, uh, and we came in his Audi after work, came over. This place was completely empty, no lifts in it, nothing. It was actually the, there was no sheetrock on the, on the ceiling either. I think it was like a storage unit for whoever the last tenant was. Actually, he told me the last tenant in here was a street vendor who had like 15 or 20 uh, uh, street carts, like hot dog stands or whatever, pretzel stands. <laughs> and he would load them up in here at night and then drive them into the city in the morning, which is great. It made sense. Um, but yeah, it was pretty bare bones. And I came in and I met with him and I saw this place and immediately thought, I got to take this because I don't think even in my one day of looking, I will find anything that at this price point. No, not in this area. Yeah, this not in this really, area. This, this was a great move. Yeah. And so, you guys can't imagine, you know, you can't see it, but the amount of cars that you fit in 2,200 square feet <laughs> is very impressive. I know. It's, uh, <laughs> there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of things that kind of just worked out perfectly for us to be able to do this, and we can get into that in a little bit. But I've been here for now four years. Um, uh, and, oh, so going back to the the initial thought of coming into this space was that I would come in, you know, obviously fit my, my four or five cars that I had out right now. But what I would do to immediately offset my rent was rent out spots to my friends, mm-hmm. uh, which I still do. 
friends, family, customers, whatever. Um, and that'll kind of uh, balance, balance out yeah. until I'm paying what I want to pay, still have residual space left over that I wouldn't have gotten if I just got a two-car garage. Um, and I never, you know, now we got service lifts and storage lifts in here. This was never the case, and I don't think it was ever in my mind to do so. Um, I just thought I could fit probably 15 cars in here and I can just rent out spots and maybe even net even, like I think my original goal was to have this place just net even for me so that it didn't cost me anything. Right, then uh, you have your garage, you can have your cars, yeah. you can play and you don't have to worry about yeah. the, the cash yeah. flow. Right? Yeah, or if it cost me what I wanted to be out on it, it was perfect, you know? So right. it kind of, it fit everything. It was close enough to the city because I was, again, working in Midtown full-time. It's a 25-minute bus ride from Port Authority door-to-door. The bus lets you out at the corner. So everything kind of lined up uh, nicely sat down with the owner made a uh, made a deal on a lease told him listen I don't know the area I've never been to West New York before um, <laughs> and uh, but I'm willing to you know go in on it uh, you know at the rate you're asking for um, but I want to have a month-to-month lease which I still have and it's not great it's not good it's not bad it's not great um, because and currently I'm trying to move to find a bigger space whether I keep this or not um, I don't know but um, my rent has fluctuated a little bit more than I wanted to over the years because I think of that month-to-month lease that I had. And maybe rightfully so because we're doing a lot more in here than what I did when I first set out. So maybe we're using a little bit more electricity. Rent is still manageable, but yeah, I've been here now four years on a month-to-month lease with the with the owner. Um, and it's been good so far. Um, and they let you put in a lift of they, month-to-month lease. They let me put in a very Yeah, I, I, and I... <laughs> I, uh, I kind of knew you weren't going anywhere after a while. <laughs> and I think that's, that has a lot to do with like why my rent increased is like after these fix, after these fixtures went in, he was like, all right, he's not leaving for a while. Yeah. And I, I've gotten to a point where I kind of fight back on him a little bit. Look, the rent is still, I think very competitive, even at today's rental rate for with the rest of the market. So it's, I'm in a pretty good spot for where I am. Um, but definitely looking to move, not for any other reason aside from we've, I think we outgrew this space probably two years ago, but we're still just holding on at the bursting at the seams. But um, been trying to find a place that you know is really the right next step to be able to you know manage with uh, the amount of cars that we want to really push through. Um, it's tough because I have big ambitions of you know big space, tons of cars, you know tons of stuff. It's very complex when you do that. You know there's a lot to manage. Um, so in order to have that much space, it's either a ton of overhead being that we're so close to the city. Or I got to go farther out, and I live in I live in Long Island City in Queens. So for me, my commute to here every morning now with the pandemic has been great. Yeah, no there's no traffic. Right, right. It's a 35, 40 minute drive maybe on and consistently. There's really not that much traffic to deal with, even on Fridays, which is amazing. Um, but if things were to go back to normal, some sort of normalcy, that would quickly change, and I would probably I I was taking the the subway to the bus and taking the bus in every day because traffic was so bad. Um, but I think that that would quickly go back to that. I would probably stop driving in, probably take the bus, um, to come just back to get back here. But so to get back to the point is if we move, I I'm trying to find this happy medium of a place that a, I can afford at least in the relative short term until we kind of can grow into it. Um, or I'll replicate what I did the first time and rent out spots, uh, to kind of stop the bleeding, um, well, it worked for you the first time out. Congrats yeah, for taking yeah. it from a couple cars in your driveway yeah. to a filled up spot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty cool to see. And I think now you have the, at this current moment, you have the garage that all the car guys dream, dream of when yeah. they're kids. You yeah. Know? Yeah. What, um, so on that point, 
were you a car guy when you were a kid? You know, before you saw this skyline, were you into cars? Yeah. Or was that the beginning of it? No, yeah. always. I was always into cars, but really, I, 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 I guess I wasn't exposed to a whole lot of like the real JDM stuff um, until I don't want to say at that point. I mean, obviously, everybody knows R thirty twos, thirty threes, thirty fours, but there's there's a there's a world out there of JDM stuff that like you just don't know until you start looking into it. And you, you mentioned you like the Sora today. Uh, well, yeah, I saw that <laughs> driving around cool town. Yeah. And and uh, man, there's just it gets so deep. There's so many things, and then Japanese car culture is so diverse in and of itself that like there's there's subgroups and subcultures of literally everything. Um, so once you start really getting into it, obviously you get exposed to a whole lot more. And I wasn't really exposed to that a whole lot, but to your point, I was a car, a, very much a car guy growing up. Um, I grew up over in Saudi Arabia, which, um, I, you know, a ton of wealth in the country, lots of, car, you know, uh, impressive cars. You drive around town, almost everybody's got an S600, everybody's got a Rolls Royce, everybody's got, you know, a Ferrari or a Lambo or a Porsche. So I grew up. Uh, you know, driving around or riding around my parents' minivan, looking at everybody else's with their, with their um, you know, Ferraris, Porsches, whatever. And then I had some friends who were, you know, wealthy and they all had nice cars. Um, so I grew up, you know, in a world where, you know, the expensive cars were what were interesting, but always caught my eye. And um, they were all pretty much all new cars over in that scene, right? It was, it was not, yeah, for it, the yeah. most part. Scene as yeah. much. Yep, for the most part, all new cars. And that's due to the fact that. We don't have like fantastic, uh, like service facilities for classic cars. So you don't. There, there are tons of classic cars now, um, but you know, growing up, there's really not a whole. There wasn't a real network to keep those cars on the road. So if you had like a classic American car in, you know, the late '80s, early '90s, I don't think there is a way that you could service them or get parts. I mean, you're right. still buying stuff off catalogs, and I don't think. I think that that was probably why coupled with the fact that everybody's got a ton of money, um, you know, everybody was just buying the latest and greatest new things. So I grew up seeing those things and obviously was attracted to them like any young kid would be. And then, um, so that, that kind of is what sparked my, my interest in cars growing up. Um, my mom and dad weren't really into cars. Like I said, I think we grew up at a Mazda, my parents had a Mazda MPV minivan and then we upgraded to a Dodge Caravan. And then I think after that, uh, we went into like a GMC, like Yukon Denali. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad had a Nissan Patrol, which is an awesome truck, which yeah, we don't have here. Awesome yeah, manual Nissan Patrol, which a is man, a stick sick. patrol. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I just Jets. got off a week of driving uh, a patrol or the US version, an Armada. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, and like, man, those cars, like, till this day, still kind of hold like a. Like a special place for me because, you know, obviously my dad had one, but um, I would love to get one of those uh, imported and and either daily or, or, you know, bring it in for sale. But um, those cars are awesome. So that was really my experience with like cars in the household, but I was always attracted to those cars. And in my family, we did this thing where like we go out driving on the road, we played this game, like you count license plates. We would, we would, if we were taking a trip from point A to point B, everybody in the car would get to choose a car that they saw on the road and they say that one's mine and like what the game was is that whoever picked the best car throughout the trip like one so like mm-hmm. we're driving around the street and i see like a you know a, a nine like a 964 right i say oh that one's that's my car and you got to be the first person to say it. so you say okay that's mine so that's the car that you now have is like 
uh, who got, who found who picked the coolest car throughout the trip. So <laughs> that we would always play this game growing up, and probably still do. I think if I went back to Saudi and was in the car with my family, we'd still play this game. So uh, that's really funny. I yes. played a game like that growing up with my dad. We'd go on all these road trips, and it would be it was a little different, but it was uh, okay. You pick a car, a brand, and a model. And whoever gets the, the counts the most of them on the trip wins. Oh yeah, yeah. So you'd have to you'd have to use some strategy to figure out. Okay, you know which ones you're going to see more of, and we'd like, you know, we'd say, hey, you can't pick an F one fifty or yeah. whatever because there are so many of those. Yeah. So. We played uh, car bingo. Yeah. Uh, going to the Cape all the time, we'd come up with card colors and then make some models, and you'd have yeah, to match. Yeah. Like you get a red, you know, <laughs> Dodge Caravan or something. Yeah. You'd have to see a red Dodge Caravan yeah. on the trip, yeah. and whoever gets bingo first wins. Yeah. I wonder the, if non-car geeks did this with their families, or <laughs> it's truly a car geek. It's gotta be. And, well, and this this game had a little bit of strategy to it, in that like if you you know coming out the turn one out the garage right. and you see you know a Porsche, you're like, oh, that's mine. But like it's a thirty hour, a thirty minute car drive or car ride. And then there's, you know, you just so happy, that's your car, you picked it, but you could see 10 other cooler things down the road. And if you already picked your car and that, you know, then all these other ones show up, well then, you know, you're out of luck. So <laughs> you got to time it just right. You got to yeah. really pick one that yeah. you think that you won't see th something better. So that's just a game that we played. So that, that's how I um, grew up, uh, you know, my experience with like, you know, being into cars. I think that was really maybe the extent of it growing up because I left... I left Saudi when I was um, in ju junior in high school. So you didn't have a car of your own? Didn't have a car then? of my own, no. In fact, I didn't even have a driver's license uh, hmm. at that point. Did I, you know how to drive stick? Uh, I drove around my dad's patrol a couple times. <laughs> I wouldn't say I knew how to drive stick, but that's where I kind of learned. Um, and then, you know, a couple of my friends had cars that, you know, I would drive. Uh, a lot of, like, four-wheel quad ATVing was probably the extent of my motor um, like motor vehicle experience in, in Saudi before I left to go to high school. Uh, and when I was in Lebanon, I was in boarding school. So there was really no exposure to cars. I think the, the biggest exposure to cars in boarding school where I was at is one kid had an E30 M3 that he'd always bring around and like, you know, people would gawk over it. And like, that was the closest that I, I had, um, for those two years that I was there. What's uh, the car culture like in Lebanon? Uh, it's very heavily, it used to be very heavily old Mercedes Benz. And I don't, maybe, I don't know if that's where I kind of got my, my taste for these things, but every single uh, uh, taxi or, or service like service car, right. yeah, they're all old Benzes. Right. All of them. They're all like 123s, 120, uh, maybe 124s. Like if you saw something that was not a 123, maybe you'd be like, that must be an expensive taxi, but like everything else, <laughs> everything else was just uh, old 123s or older. In fact, I remember getting in a in a I forget what chassis it was, but it was a 50 year old Benz, and like I get a in the 116? car something old. And the guy I get in, and the guy like probably had this thing running probably to the tune of a million or plus miles on it. And I get in, he's like, the car's 50 years old. I've been driving it for 50 years, and <laughs> like the, he, there was so many things about this car that like he had to do to keep it running. And I think that. He was also doing things to like save fuel. We'd go up a hill, and then once we were on the downhill, he'd shut the car off and let it coast and start it up when we got back down. So, like column shift manual or something. Yeah, yeah. and and so that was um, that was my experience with cars in Lebanon. Really, kind of sheltered from it. I didn't really have a whole lot of um, uh, FaceTime with anything in particular for prom in Lebanon. Actually, oh, I say that I in my senior year in high school. I rented a no license, no driver's license, no insurance, no nothing. Rented a um, a, a Renault uh, Clio, 
um, and would drive that around just to get from point A to point B. There's a longer story to this. We don't need to get into it, but I had a car at boarding school and you're not supposed to. I was at boarding school, but I was living at boarding school. Also something that we don't have to get into, but I needed a car. So I rented a Clio and I had this thing for like maybe a month or two. And um, so I drove that quite a what bit. What year was that? Uh, it's got to be a 2000. What year was I in high school? Yeah, no, what the year Clio? did you rent the, I think it was like a 2003, 4, or 5. Oh, okay. So the third gen, right? Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. No, it was not a V6. It was nothing crazy. It was literally just a Clio. And um, uh, I rented that, drove that for a while. Then for prom, I rented, I think 2005 was the first year that they had the um, Mercedes CLS came out. And. I was like, I got to have this thing for prom. I was like, this thing, is, it just looks so different, so awesome from everything else. So I ended up renting that for prom, and I think that was it. And then I was out of there. Uh, that was my experience with cars there. Then I came here, was in boarding school. I did a super senior year boarding school, so no car exposure. Then I went to University of Delaware. You know, I was boarded, boarding out there. No real exposure. Um, you didn't have a car here. I didn't. I, I actually, no, I had one over the summer because I... I um, I taught a swim team out in Long Island, and I I needed a uh, I needed a car, and I think I I had a first inherited my grandmother's uh, Honda Accord, um, which was a great car, but um, not <laughs> interesting whatsoever. It was a uh, automatic Honda Accord, and then I bought a Nissan Maxima, which is a great car, um, and then from there, yep, was in I uh, you know I had it over the summer, uh, didn't really drive it. Otherwise, because um, I was in boarding school and then, uh, sorry, and then because I was in University of Delaware freshman year and then I came uh, back to Fordham, uh, came back to New York, went to Fordham and I had, I was commuting. So I was commuting with that Maxima probably for the first few months. And then from there, sold the Maxima, bought an E46 M3, which I still have. Oh, you still have it. Yeah. SMG so or stick? It's, uh, it's an SMG. Okay. I, so I bought this car and like thinking at the time, I know, and like thinking at the time, it, for no other reason aside from it was there was one car in the family and then my car got used incidentally so my car got used by other people in the family my maxima which is an automatic and i wanted to get a manual but it was the only other car that was available my sister was going to maybe need to use it you know my bro this is how i justified getting a <laughs> e46 m3 i was like listen i'm gonna get i'll get an automatic it's a family car i'll get it, I'll get it <laughs> anyone so that, can use it i get it so that anybody can use it if i got a manual if i got a manual nobody would be able to use it It'd be a brick otherwise unless i drive the thing so i uh yeah i, I you know saved a little bit of money in i got a little bit of money from uh, you know the saudi arabian government actually and then um which is supposed to go towards my schooling but it went towards an e46 m3 well it's a, it's a part of the whole experience well i had to get right. to school school, i had right? to get to <laughs> class on time i had to get to class on time and so this, this was a significantly better way to get to class than the clear of course well yeah, yeah or the or my maximum or the maximum yeah. right so i uh got the e46 still have it although it's not even in the shop because i can't fit it here it is uh out at a buddy of mine's shop because i'm too busy working on these cars than to have my own stuff in here and um yeah and i still have that car till this day which is it's a it's an smg we'll, we'll you we can glance over that fact but it is uh interlagos blue over cinnamon uh zcp package car which is it's I mean, a hot car it's it's the <laughs> best color combination on on e46 aside from maybe like an oxford green which 
or a Daytona Violet or Techno Violet, which I don't think we really have too many of. Uh, is Stock there, car. There's a Techno Violet? Techno Violet or M3? Daytona wow. Violet. Yeah, there's a couple guys running around with some. Uh, it was an individual color at the time, but yeah. Interlagos is like the midnight blue? It's like the purplish blue. Oh, yeah, it was yeah, the yeah, special yeah. launch color for like the ZCP cars. No, that's so, a gorgeous color. Yeah, it's a great car. With the cinnamon interior, it's perfect. So, yes, it's an SMG, but everything else about it is awesome. So, that's yeah. how I justify it. So, when you came over here for your studies, uh, cars was never a career motive never. or anything. Not no. in your mind at all. No, and, and you know what? I wasn't, like I said, growing up, I wasn't exposed to it enough to really like... Consider it. To really consider, I didn't even know what I would be doing. I didn't really, th it was never in my like mindset to either think about going into like automotive sales, automotive service. I, we never had a shop class growing up. So I don't know, I still really don't know a whole lot about auto mechanics. Being here and being exposed to all of the stuff that we clearly go through and breaking down in every single car that I own. Yeah, that's has, what I was going to say. Has taught me. The best way to learn. That's how you learn, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> I can at least explain what the issue is. Actually doing the hands-on stuff to try and fix it, I wouldn't trust myself with it whatsoever. Um, I'm but, impressed that you can buy the cars without that knowledge because like how how do you put your budget on what it's going to need i i have done enough um well i've paid for enough of the jobs that i understand <laughs> what it might cost but i i also i have a working knowledge or i'll do my research as to what you know are potential issues um and i get a very you know i get a very good inspection on most of the cars that i buy beforehand so i know what i'm getting myself into but also I have a good network of people. So if I buy a BMW, I know I got like, you know, three or four or five people who I know that I can go to and say, this is my issue. How do we address it? And most times I'll have a pretty easy solution, um, whether it's, you know, outsourcing the work or doing it here in-house with Steve, my mechanic, um, which, and he's excellent. I mean, he can pretty much diagnose anything. Um, if he spends just a little bit of time with it. So I, I it gives me a little bit of confidence going into stuff. Um, you know, where otherwise I wouldn't be. When and did you bring on uh, him as a part of the business? Was he there from the beginning? He, or? he actually, he found me. So that, oh. that'll bring us to the story of how this shop actually came to look like this is a good transition for it. Cause I had my, my 71 skyline, uh, here. I had been driving it, uh, quite a bit and obviously didn't have, uh, you know, anybody to service it just yet. Um, still kind of working my way through the field of, you know, how do I get myself set up with mechanics and how do I get myself you know, set up with somebody who would know how to work on a 71 Skyline. Right. Granted, the, me the mechanics on it are not that uh, uh, difficult. It's an L20 motor out of like a 240Z. Nothing really crazy. Um, pretty standard stuff for any... It's like, a straight six, edge, right? Yeah, straight six, yeah. uh, two liter. Actually, this one came with a 2.8 liter uh, L28 from a 280Z. And then okay. uh, subsequently, because the motor blue which had nothing to do with me the motor i had to get the motor rebuilt at uh my uh now also very long-term mechanic who i take a lot of my stuff to um phil out in clifton uh phil's euro he's excellent he's like a you know excellent uh mechanic i can bring him anything any day of the week and he'll know how to fix um or at least put me in the right direction a lot of the times I have to find the parts for it because he's like, what the hell is this thing? Yeah, right, right. And where do I find parts? So I'm on eBay or like international eBay sites or international Craigslist sites trying to find like parts. But um, I had at the time uh, blown the motor on the Skyline. He had rebuilt the whole thing. And then I think it was right around that time, Steve, who lives in Clifton, actually just down the road from Phil, I guess he passes his shop all the time. And the Skyline was parked there. And Steve being, he's a... JDM, you know, uh, 
really a JDM enthusiast, JDM mechanic. I mean, that's what he grew up. He grew up building Supras and GTRs. Um, he saw that thing and he was like, man, who owns this thing? So stop, talk cool to, car, yeah, right? talk to Phil. He's like, who, who owned this thing? So Phil gave him my info and then I think Steve either called me or Phil called me and told me, Hey, like, you know, somebody stopped by, I was interested in like talking about, you know, the cars. Maybe I had a couple other cars sitting at the shop, but anyway, the, at that, by the time Steve got a hold of me, the Skyline was back in the shop. Steve comes over, you know, walks in, looks at the shop. Um, you know, we talk about the Hako for a little bit. Um, and then kind of just like, you know, developed a little bit of a relationship and at the time there was no lifts in here no service lift no storage lifts nothing there was i think eight cars in the back uh, maybe a couple up front and you know all sorts of stuff i had a lancia delta i think i had the 16 valve car here at one point how was the delta uh i I had a delta i think before anybody had a delta in the country or just i i like got them an integrale or an integrale uh yeah i had so a buddy of mine jason silco who's like the uh probably the forefront of all deltas in the country he knows everybody's got one everybody who's had one everybody who wants one um he had one probably before me and i had bought one at auction uh and it was on the boat and then i went to a a car show in new canaan connecticut and i saw uh jason and his delta and that was the only delta i think that i seen in the country before mine um and you know started to talk to him about the delta that i had coming in and we've since been pretty good friends, did, did a lot of work together, actually bringing in Deltas for other people. But I had this Delta, I think, one of the, his is an eight valve car. I had, a, I think the first 16 valve Delta here. And I think if you go back to like bring a trailer sale history, I think it's probably the first 16 valve Delta that was sold in the US. And um, that car was, I don't, I don't want to say it was it, it was a very fun car to drive turbo lag i mean it's not it's not something that um uh how, how do i say it? it it's a great car right but there's it's gotten to a point these days where they become i think too expensive for what you get out of them the right. hype has just blown them totally out of proportion they do look the business they I look mean, the fantastic flares they just they, they, they look amazing that, yeah they look amazing the performance wise look, yeah performance wise i mean they're they're great they're great 80s um you know early 90s um you know hot hatches they're they're fantastic and probably unique even within that realm of cars to drive certainly to look at and i think a lot of the appeal is how they look Mm -hmm. the driving experience is is great um but it's not anything that really ever captivated me where i was like holy crap like this is so this is the best thing ever well if you think about it you know i know for steven and i driving is a huge part of it i don't know if, if driving or visual is more important to you but I think a lot of people who like cars, maybe even the visual side is the most important thing for them. You know, they might not even know anything about driving. They might not even like to drive fast. Yeah. You know, like maybe the guy who bought this wagon. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> and uh, right. that's definitely a part of it. And and look, and you know, it was a great car. Uh, there is really nothing else that I could say about it. Nothing negative to say for sure. Um, but then even within every car, you know, that car could have been maybe. I don't know if I've I've driven a couple other since, so I think I have a pretty good idea as to what they drive like. Again, I think that they're they're great cars, just not um, you know where the price. I I've been trying to buy Deltas out of Japan now for the last like three months, uh, and it's impossible. I literally I can't afford them, and I'm buying them directly for customers who have retail budgets here in the states, right. and they literally can't pick one up to save their lives because they're just so expensive. Hmm. So it's a little bit out of control. 
So anyway, so I had these cars. Um, I Probably think he drives like a Saab, by the way. <laughs> big turbo lag. Like, oh, man, yeah. don't give me any Saabs. I've had a few of those, too. And that is a can of worms that I just literally don't want to go down. I, I, I love the cars. I love them to We're death. We're big fans. I too, love yeah. Saabs to death. They look fantastic. They drive like uh, under, uh, what's the word? You're, you, you're, underappreciated. Not underappreciated, but like under, unassuming. unassuming. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're yeah. cute cars. Unassuming. So, yeah, exactly. Unassuming. Not to get into it, but you know, I have a 01 Vigan, which is now technically my brother's, but um, we, we joke about putting a license plate on it that says WRX KLR. Yeah. Because like all these guys in yeah. New Jersey with like souped up WRXs think they're a hot shit. Yeah. And the Vigan could smoke them like nothing. Yeah. They're like, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're impressive, right? And like, and like that's a maybe I'll, I feel a little bit better about the subs than I do the deltas because I think you can get a ton of value out of a sub. Oh, Unbelievable yeah, value. Yeah, because they're not hyped up at all. Yeah, yet. they're not right. hyped up. Um, yeah, those and maybe that's also something to do with it. The the price that you pay for a car, you get so much car. You out get of so much car out of it, yeah. and they look great. But <sighs> selling sobs is a whole different story. When you have to deal <laughs> with the end user, and not to knock sob guys and whatever like it is about trying to sell a sob, it's, it's be some the most disparaging comments about architects. It's here, guys. the <laughs> no, it's the most. It's just for me as a like the the time value of money is just completely gone out the window. When you have to deal with somebody, especially over the internet, trying to uh, navigate a sob sale, mm-hmm. they're <laughs> so unbelievably specific about every single thing that needs to go. And I don't know the cars thoroughly enough to be able to like speak to them. So I'm sitting here like trying to educate they myself do. to death about this car because I don't know how to answer most of these questions. Um, and man, it is just it is not easy to sell a sob. What sob did you have? Uh, so, and the three that I actually had, uh, part of my business here is I do, um, I do, uh, consignment sales for people. So a couple of my, a couple of my customers, the three sobs that I had all belonged to other customers. And then one I had that was here for storage. So the three sobs that I had, uh, belonged to, so I had a, a 99, uh, turbo 78, 99 turbo, which was amazing. Awesome looking car. For Unbelievably sure. yeah. cool car. Yeah, this yeah. thing was the, the just bitching. It was black. Red interior had that like weird, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the interior on it, but it's got a very unique like pattern on the seats. He just gotten the whole thing redone. Yeah. That thing sold on Bring a Trailer, I think some sort of record number for a 99 Turbo. Um, and oh, what color, what color was it again? It was yeah, black. Like, oh, yeah, it was yeah, black yeah, yeah. with red interior and it had the Inca wheels on it, which were awesome. Yes, um, and that thing was just it was a really, really fun car to drive. Um, just a it was a four speed manual turbo 78 turbo. Um, that was, that was a good one. Um, and then the one that I had after that was a the next year is a 900 uh, turbo. I'm trying to think now what I, I know. There's a third one in here. Um, I had a, a 900 turbo uh, convertible, a yellow one with mm. uh, black interior, also a manual car, same owner, 60,000 mile car. Ended up selling that one on eBay. Um, which is the car that this guy drove me nuts about? <laughs> that, this is what I keep going back to. Look, this guy calls me and has me I'm not even kidding I think that this car was it must have been the I'm tr- there was another one it was another 900 turbo that I had um the it, classic 900 well there was like yeah the, the classic 80s, there was a 90s. there was a 99 turbo Do you have an SPG it was SP I think it was SPG so it was an, it was a there was a 90 the 99 turbo was up to like 78 and then I think like 79 was like the first year of the 900 turbo I'm yeah. trying to remember what this thing looked like I can't even picture it in my head 
I can picture it, the flat nose. Been through know, too many like cars. A little bit of the, the chunky spoiler on the back. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the color, like, uh, I'm trying to remember what this car actually looked like. But anyway, so this car ended up, I think I ended up put it, putting it on Bring a Trailer, um, didn't sell, and then somebody who was the high bidder on it contacted me, and he was just, and he was out on the West Coast, and he just made me go back and forth a, over a hundred times just asking every time I would show him whatever the answer was to his question something else would pop up in either the photo or the comment that I made about like what he had asked about that he would then go ask me to look at that thing it got to the point I'm not even kidding where the whole car was undercoated uh, with like a, a rust preventative right and it was mm -hmm. done in like 1979 when the car was new I have, <laughs> dealer, I have dealer records of this rust preventative thing that was done at the dealership and he's in I, he was in the West Coast. He's in uh, Utah, Montana, or uh, or Washington State, or something mm -hmm. like that. But I guess he registers in cars. His cars in California. So uh, the underside was all undercoated with this rust protective, and he it got to the point where he, you know, I was under there looking for rust because one of the photos looked like there was rust on it. There's no rust on the car. Um, he and it got to a point Pains where of selling a car. Online. So some <laughs> of this, some of some of the um, the material was um, flaking off. He had me take off a sample of the underside coating and of this car and send it to a lab to oh get tested to get tested for asbestos. <laughs> he had me. I swear. I swear. To, I, it was like a two hundred and fifty dollar lab fee to send he this thing. For it. He paid for it to send this thing down to down to a lab in Texas to test for asbestos because between I think there's seventy nine or seventy eight like or seventy nine or nineteen uh, eighties when they stopped using asbestos in this compound. And I guess in California code or California law, maybe it's not him. No, it's definitely him. He was definitely <laughs> the issue here. Um, you're only allowed a certain amount of asbestos within like a tolerable error to be on present on the vehicle for them to be able to operate or you know, work on the car. Mm. Otherwise, it requires like hazmat suit, whatever. I would beg, to, I would doubt, I highly doubt anybody on the planet actually knows that this rule exists aside from this human being and had me literally the take off pieces of it and i think even made me do it once or twice because the pieces weren't big enough i don't know sent this thing down to this lab in, in uh, texas got the results back turns out that i think like the tolerable error was like zero or the tolerable amount of asbestos was like 0 0.08 and it was like 0 0.09 like it was literally right there and he's like ah oh, can't do it can't do it, man. <laughs> I, I, I am not even exaggerating this when I tell you I spent two weeks getting this guy info back like back and forth. It started because there was a photo of the car on the lift and the reflection of that helmet right there onto the side of the car with the flash looked like a red spot and he thought it was right. rust. So I was like, no, that's just something that we have hanging on the wall. Looks like it's not it. So I got him a photo of it. When I got him a photo of that, it was, hey, what about this? Hey, what about... Every time I sent him another photo, got to a point where I was just focusing on the one thing that I was taking a photo of and nothing else because I would just open up a can of worms. I would just tell him to fly out here and see it for yourself. I, I should have I should have cut it off, but I think I was like, I was so loyal to like my, my customer at the time. You wanted who, to get it sold. Brought it, yeah, right, who brought yeah. it in, you know, and I wanted to do right by him that I was like, I kept thinking that this was going to be it and it just kept bleeding me more and more and more. And then... He didn't got, even buy it. Did not end up buying the car. Oh. Literally, so you had the information on the asbestos for the next guy. For the next right, guy, right. literally, <laughs> that was crucial. Literally, the next <laughs> that was the main selling point. Asbestos tested. Yeah, I, put that in, I went back and put it in the listing. I put the lab results in, <laughs> and that's what pushed it over the edge. And then the next day. 
the next day, some uh, I, I think I had this thing up on uh, eBay. And the next day, somebody just comes in, middle of the night, I'm sitting in bed, bid comes in, because I had you know X amount or high offer. And I had a bid come in for the Saab, and I knew that that was within striking distance of selling this thing. I was like, oh man, we're on, let's do this thing. So I'm at 1230 at night, like randomly just like upbidding this person on eBay. And uh, it was this really lovely lady who ended up buying it um, again out on the west coast i think she was in i think she was might have been in seattle and she had me just send it out to her um but yeah i i had told her about my experience with like how, what i had gone through with trying to sell this car and she then told me that her story is that she actually tried to buy that exact car hmm. two or three years ago before the current owner who i was selling it on behalf of ended up you know buying it from that person and the person who had owned it, he, she thinks, she believes, refused to sell it to her because she was a woman. And I guess there was some, there was some conflict there. He didn't, sure he didn't want it going. He didn't want to go into her. So she was thrilled to then see this. She's like, I saw this thing. I, I knew it was the right car because I knew like something specific about it. Ended up, you know, having to buy it on eBay. And then yeah, it was good story. It that went, she got her hands on it. It went all. from yeah. it went from two weeks of me just going through hell trying to get this thing sold and literally I think after all that feeling defeated after he told me that I you know he wasn't interested anymore. And I think that he said that he was gonna send me some money for my work on doing all this and I don't think he ever did. I'm gonna send him a message after this. I think I was so off put by him by the end of it that I was just like I can't I do this anymore. Yeah. So I um <laughs> I ended up selling it to her, and uh, she, yeah, I think she. I haven't heard from her since, but I, I'm, I'm sure that she enjoyed it. It was an excellent car. But um, anyway, that's that's my sob story. That's yeah, sob we story. we all have sob stories. <laughs> sob story. Everyone has a sob story. So I, I will. You'll see I before will this not... podcast comes out, we're get, we're putting up another one on on our sob story. Our... <laughs> you'll you'll oh, hear about that. Uh, so I won't do that again. I think ever as long as I can help it. So if you're, if you're <laughs> any of my customers or clients or um, you know thinking about selling, having me sell your sob, please do not ask me to do it. I have a hard time <laughs> saying no, but I really don't want to. You, you guys should see him. Rami's like a really calm guy. I'm I sweating. Can see the <laughs> I'm stressing. I'm stressing out. Bring back all those feelings well so yeah. listen to yeah. get off the sobs you know yeah so going <laughs> so, back to I, I i we offshooted from steve coming in because i had the skyline here came in i had a couple cars in here that were interesting and he looked at the space and you know what i was doing in here in terms of like bringing in cars obviously we spoke a little bit about what what my mantra was with bringing in stuff that other people never saw or never had or you know it was forefront of being interesting like the deltas and stuff and he was like listen you know, I'd love to be a part of this somehow. He's like, I'm, you know, I've, I've been working on cars since forever. Um, and, you know, you obviously are going to need help mechanically because I just, I, I farm everything out. So I, you know, if it's a BMW thing, I take it to my BMW shop. If it's a Mercedes, I take it to the Mercedes shop, so on and so forth. So he said, we can do all of this in-house. You know, let's get a service lift up. I don't know the first thing about service at all. Still really don't. Like I'm trying to teach myself this process. Would you um, put your car up on a lift and do something or no? Uh, no, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't because I knew that I like maybe I could maybe I could fix something, but I would not trust myself to then get on the road with it. Like I would need somebody to spot <laughs> why, check. Why me would you if you have a guy for it? Yeah, I know if you well, have a guy. Steve, Steven's got a guy. He, he's outsourced all this to his brother. <laughs> yes, yeah, he's got a yeah, yeah, you're, you're in a good place. So I yeah. So Steve actually he's the one who came in here and he looked at this space and he said, look, we can do we can put a service lift in here. And this was before the wall was even cut out. And I was like, where are we going to put this thing? So he came up with a plan, mapped out the whole thing. Um, down to those storage lifts in the back of the shop that you can see there's four storage lifts in the back of the shop right now that 
um, we had to go get from Benpack uh, because they were the only set of storage lifts that were narrow enough. They're yeah, narrow. by the millimeter. You they can literally. Well, I, I'm not even exaggerating when I tell you that these lifts, all four of them combined, fit within one inch of clearance <laughs> up against the wall. I'm not even kidding. They're actually being held. They're propped up um, like amongst one another and being wedged into the wall. There's no flex whatsoever. And even came down to us. So Steve came in and measured wall to wall. And there's a variation. The back of the shop is a little bit narrower than the front or vice versa. Mm. Um, so we, we took like four times. I had to measure this because it was a big investment on buying these lifts Absolutely. that were, they were specific. So they were expensive. I think they were like three. Did you get them new or used? New. They're brand new. Oh, and I think wow. I got the first ones that were in this color too, if that's, <laughs> if that's interesting to anybody. <laughs> so I got, I got four of these bought. Um, you know, based on measurements of this clearing within within one inch, and I mean, it was a fifteen thousand dollar investment getting these things in here and up. Um, and literally, we put these things together. Steve and I put them together over like the span of probably a week or two at night, just working through all day, all night, getting these lifts in. And man, we put these things up, put them all together, and then realized that the measurements that they gave us don't account for. I'm not even kidding. The bolts that sit on the outside of the lift holding the lift up so uh or holding the um the guide rails for the uh, uh for the for the lifts for those supports um and the 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 bolts stuck out another quarter inch between each side of them so it came out to like two extra inches right so this wouldn't fit but the solution was we're going to take them out or Steve's solution was take them out and just bolt the bottom of the lifts together. So you put one bolt through both of them mm-hmm. and therefore you allow it to clear through. So you can only, you can only lower two at a time or no, you can lower them all. You can lower okay. them all through. This is just, I, I don't, I don't know those bolts were, I think just, they're just holding the bottom of like where the, um, the, the, it's like a guide to have the, uh, the okay. posts just guide upwards and it just holds that guide in place on the inside of the column. Um, and yeah, they were, they would stick out too much. So he literally took them, <laughs> took them all out and just bolted all four of the That's bases really of the lifts cool. together and the tops, I don't even know if they needed them. They didn't have them, but that, that little amount that wasn't accounted for almost wrecked this whole thing until, you know, he came up with that solution. So they literally fit within one inch of the wall or under an inch. Yeah. Uh, it looks designed wall. for the space. Yeah. It literally looks like Adam custom put in here. <laughs> so we put those up that allowed, allowed us to clear up the space. And I say cleared up the space. In reality, it allowed me to buy more cars because this place is packed and Steve gives me a hard time about it every day that there's not enough space to work in here. Um, and then it allowed us to put this two-post lift where he can do you know, work on the cars um, right sort of in the middle of the shop. It's still a little bit of a dance getting stuff that is on the top leftmost corner of this lift out of the shop. You got to pretty much move everything else out of the way and move it through the lift it's a it's a bit of a process you need yeah, two people yeah, to do it where do you put everything and it's not like there's a lot of street room around here right. so the way that we stagger them is like you know obviously these cars are the most ready to either you know either have go stuff out. done to them or or go out this is leaving next week this is leaving next week that's leaving next week but then everything else is in order of how far along it is in the process right um, so the stuff in the back left corner long term has, yeah. has some work to it'll be done. up there for a little bit until we can get to it um those are long-term projects Thanks for listening to Autoholics Anonymous by The Autoholic. Tune in to part two of our conversation with Rami and Inbound Motorsports in the near future. In the meantime, follow our adventures at the-autoholic.com or on Instagram at the.autoholic and Twitter at theautoholic, straight through. Stay safe, but don't forget to drive fast and take chances. Cheers!
Introduction music by Stephen Diamond.